Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Uh, so I'm really excited about preaching this passage today. It's per- perhaps my favorite passage in the book of Philippians. And so I'm going to read it, pray, and then we'll jump into what God's Word says this morning. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the benefit of being here and the privilege of being here to, to study it and to, to learn from it today. Lord, as, as Paul says in verse 15, uh, there's a way that mature Christians are to think. And so, Lord, as we, as we consider what that is today, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see it in your word, that you would give us eyes to see how mature Christians are to think, and that you would give us ears to hear wonderful things from your word as we read it, as, we, as it's being preached, as, as we hear from your word today. Lord, would you give us hearts that are open? Would you give us hearts that are open to, to receive from your word today? Give us hearts that are, uh, that are, uh, are interested in, in obeying what your word says. So give us eyes to see, Give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are receptive to and obedient to your word so that we might be mature Christians who think in the way that Paul calls us to think today. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start at the end of the passage, okay? We're going to start at verse 15 because Paul gives a command here in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way, okay? So there's a way that mature Christians are to think and, and Paul is so interested in how mature Christians are to think that he also says at the end of that verse, and if in anything you think otherwise, 
God will reveal that also to you. So Paul is saying that there's a way that mature Christians think, and if we're not thinking that way, God's gonna change our mind, and so if that's true, thank you, Abby. If that's true, then we should be thinking that way, and we should know what that way is. And Philippians 3, verses 2 to 14, is the way that mature Christians should think. And what we see from that passage is three points, okay? Those three points are that trusting Jesus is enough, knowing Jesus is worth it, and pursuing Jesus is worth it. And my hope today is that we would leave here thinking in this way. Let's start with trusting Jesus is enough. Again, this is, Paul is saying that mature Christians think this way. The first thing they think is that trusting Jesus is enough. Look at verse two. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, what's going on here? So Paul is talking about this group of people and he uses three kind of descriptive things to describe this group of people. And this group of people is wanting these uh, Philippian Christians to mature, but these Jewish Christians are saying, in order to mature, you've got to follow a lot of Jewish ritual. Primarily, the Jewish ritual they want, to follow, want these people to follow is the ritual of circumcision. Now, Paul calls them three things. He calls them dogs, which was a word that Jews used to describe Gentiles, and it was not a term of endearment, okay? Then he calls them evildoers. Now, that's interesting because what these people are trying to do is to get these uh, Gentile Christians to follow Jewish rules. And so these evildoers are trying to get Gentile Christians to do good things. But whenever you try to get somebody to do good things in addition to trusting Jesus, you're doing an evil thing, is what Paul's saying. Third thing, he calls them those who mutilate the flesh. Now, this is not a title, but a description of what they were calling for. They were calling for all Gentile Christians to be circumcised. Now, can you imagine that new members class, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, we have to do what? That's what they were doing. They, they were saying, listen, this is important. They were saying, it's enough to start with Jesus. But if you're going to mature, you've got to do all these things. And the main one was to be circumcised. Well, Paul engages that in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. He's talking about Christians who have trusted Christ, that something has been done to our hearts. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is saying, like, trusting Jesus is enough. All these people that want you to add something to trusting Jesus, we don't need that because trusting Jesus is enough. But Paul also kind of engages their nonsense in verse four. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like, look, you wanna add, you wanna compare lists? I got a list. You wanna compare box checking? Let's, let's box check is what Paul's saying. And then he goes through this list of things that are true about him in verse five. He says, I've got more. 
Circumcised on the eighth day. You want to talk about circumcision? Check. I've done that. He keeps going. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, I'm of the best tribe of the whole thing. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Some suggest that that means he still spoke Hebrew, where some of these Judaizers, these uh, dogs, evildoers, mutilators did not. So Paul's like, look, you want to compare lists? Let's compare lists. And then he says, uh, as to the law of Pharisee. In other words, I'm the box checker of box checkers. Then he says, as to zeal in verse 6, a persecutor of the church. He's like, look, yeah, you, you guys want everybody to get circumcised? That's cute. That's cute. That's real zealous. I used to be even more zealous. I was putting Christians in prison and seeing to their execution. And then he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So all these people who want to put some confidence in something other than Jesus, Paul's like, look, I've done all that and more. I've done all that and more. You want to compare list? I've got a list. And then there's this incredible word at the beginning of verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever, whatever gain I may have found in all these things, he says, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Now that word loss is an interesting word. It's, uh, it's used in about ships that are on the sea during a storm. And when a storm comes up, if the ship is too heavy, uh, sailors would, would uh, throw cargo overboard, like in the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is on the sea, and the ship is being tossed about by the storm, and they start throwing cargo over. Same idea. And Paul is saying, look, uh, whatever gain I might have had, I, I'm throwing all that away so that I can get Christ. Because trusting Christ is enough. And, and Paul is saying mature people think this way. Mature Christians, mature people think this way that trusting Jesus is enough. They, we don't need to add anything to him. We don't need to add anything to his work. We don't need to add anything to what he's done. His grace is sufficient for our need. We add nothing to that. Perhaps the most um, remembered illustration I've ever given is the one about the gospel and coffee, okay? If you add it, my perspective is, if you add anything to coffee, it is no longer coffee, okay? It may be a milkshake or, or a dessert, okay? But it is not coffee, and the gospel is the same way. If you add anything, the work of Jesus is the same way. You add anything to that, and it ceases, to be what it was. Paul wants them to understand, every, I counted everything as loss. I threw it away for the sake of Christ because trusting Jesus is enough. Second thing, he wants mature people to think. So if we're mature followers of Jesus here, he wants mature, or we seek to be, he wants us to think in this way, knowing Jesus is worth it, verse 8. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul wants mature Christians to think this way, that knowing Jesus is worth it. He says, I count everything. Everything is lost. Not, not just my religious box checking, but 
everything, I count everything as loss. Everything that's not Jesus is to be thrown overboard so that I can get him. So Jesus is better, Paul's saying. The surpassing worth of Jesus is better. So he's better than boyfriends and medals and trophies. He's better than power and money and a corner office. He's better than followers and likes. He's better than everything we can get in this world. And everything is loss compared to him. He says, I count it as rubbish. This word rubbish means either dung or trash thrown to the dogs in the street. Either way, it's not awesome. And Paul says, knowing Jesus, I count everything as loss in, comparing, in comparison to knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is worth it. But this is not a mere mental exercise for Paul because in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, it says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. So it's not simply that Paul thought they were lost. He suffered the loss of all things. Here's what we need to understand from the order in the verse. We will not suffer the loss of all things until we count Jesus worthy of, until we count Jesus as better than all things. If we ever have an opportunity to choose between our things and Jesus, we will not suffer the loss of our things unless we see Jesus as better than our things. Paul is saying, I suffer the loss of all things because I count that as dung and rubbish and loss compared to Jesus. Why? Because knowing Jesus is worth it. And then Paul describes some of what we get from Jesus in verse 9. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, we live in a world of righteousness. We, back in the day, in the 90s and in the aughts, there was this thought that we were moving toward more of a postmodern world where you would have your truth and I would have my truth and we'd all kind of get along. That's not where we live. We live in a world of righteousness. And if you do not say the right thing and do the right thing and check the right box and ascribe the right idea, if you do not do that, then you do not have the righteousness of our world. We, we live in a very puritanical society, but the Puritans aren't reading the Bible this time. We want righteousness. And if we don't say the right things, do the right things, uh, 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 affirm the right things, then we get canceled. We may suffer the threat of losing our job. And if we do not see our things as less than knowing Christ, then we will not suffer the loss of all things. And if we live into this world's idea of righteousness, we'll have a worldly righteousness, but it won't be a real righteousness. It won't be a real righteousness. Paul describes the righteousness that he has. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not from box checking, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul describes this righteousness as a gift from God, not something we earn, not something we deserve, 
but it comes from God and depends on faith. We don't earn it. We don't work to achieve it. We receive righteousness as a gift. And this righteousness is a beautiful thing because not only are we forgiven of our sin, but we are declared perfectly righteousness before God the Father. And so we stand, when we stand before God, not only are we forgiven, but we are declared righteous. We have the righteousness of Jesus that's part of knowing Christ, Paul says. So knowing Christ is worth it. We might suffer the loss of all things, but we gain Christ. And when we gain Christ, we get righteousness. But there's more, verse 10, that I may know him. Now, let's not, let's not speed past that. We get to know him. We get to know Christ, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the power that brought a dead body to life, never to die again, we get to know that power. It's the power that saved us. It's the power that sustains us. It's the power that sees us safely home. It's the power of his resurrection. And, and that we may share in his sufferings. I simply want to point out that Paul saw that as a win. Paul saw it as a win that we would share in his sufferings. When was the last time you saw suffering as a win? When was the last time you put suffering in the plus column? Becoming like him in his death. I, I wonder if that's pointing back to chapter 2, where Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we might become like him in his death and, and that we would humbly obey God, whatever that means. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is interesting because, because Paul is writing this letter in a jail cell in Rome. He's, he's probably at the end of his life. He's, he's looking forward to this resurrection hope, not simply the resurrection hope of Jesus that we might be saved, but resurrection hope for believers that when Jesus returns, when, when Jesus returns, he will make all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll get glorified bodies. Listen, eternity is not us as spirits kind of floating around, strumming a harp with wings and a halo. Thanks be to God, that's not what it is. We get new bodies new glorified bodies for a new glorified world, and we get to be with our Savior forever. And so Paul says, I get that, and if I get that, knowing Jesus is worth it. And so Paul wants mature people, mature Christians to think this way. Third thing Paul wants mature Christians to think is that pursuing Jesus is worth it. Not, now, trusting Jesus is enough. We don't add anything. Knowing Jesus is worth it. He's worth giving everything away. And then pursuing Jesus is worth it. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Paul's like, look, I got a long way to go. Now, it's interesting. He probably wrote this 30 years after he followed Jesus. Um, Jesus uh, he followed Jesus somewhere in the 30s AD. This is written somewhere in the 60s AD. So Paul is, has followed Jesus for close to 30 years. And he says, I've not obtained it or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I got something I want, and I want it. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, Jesus saved me so I could get what I'm going after. 
Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Now, Paul is using athletic imagery here. Now, now, with all due respect to kids' soccer, okay, not the athletes that are there for the snacks, all right? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, blob soccer, where everybody kind of runs after the ball this way, and, and the highlight is the, the box juice and, and, the, and the snacks at the end of the game, right? That's not the kind of athlete Paul's thinking about. Paul's thinking about the kind of athlete that has dis- discipline, determination, and dedication to run after something. And the prize, the goal for the prize is, this word prize is a crown that was given to victors at the end of, of a competition. And Paul is saying, I, I forget, I forget everything behind me. I'm, I'm single-minded, I'm focused, I'm straining forward toward what, I, what lies ahead. I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize, the crown of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to know Jesus. He made me his own so that I would know him. I'm doing everything I can to know him. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So how do mature Christians think? They know that trusting Jesus is enough. They know that knowing Jesus is worth it. And they know that pursuing Jesus is worth it. And so the most important question we need to answer today is this. Are you thinking this way? Are you thinking this way? If this is how mature Christians think, if this is how those of us who are mature think, then are we thinking this way? And if not, we're we're trusting that God will reveal that also to you. Like if you're not thinking in this way, if if you're not thinking that trusting Jesus is enough, we're trusting that God's going to reveal that to you today. If you're trying to add anything to Jesus or say, Jesus, you're not enough for me at all, i got to trust me, we're trusting God's going to reveal that to you today. Because all of your me, like all of you doing your good things and your best on your best day, the Bible says that all that is filthy rags. Man, on your best day. And most of our best days are like a best five minutes, right? Like on your best day, filthy rags. But there's an offer from God through Jesus Christ, where you get real righteousness, where the God of the universe declares over your life, forgiven, justified, holy, righteous. Not because of what you've done, not because of the boxes you've checked, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you thinking that way? Have you thought that way before? Have have you brought your mess to God's Messiah? Have you brought your mess to Jesus who died in your place to trust him, to save you, and to sustain you safely home? Have you trusted him for the first time? And if not, we would urge you to trust Christ today. All your good stuff is at best filthy rags, the Bible says. Trust Christ today. And maybe you've trusted him once. Are you trusting him for the thousandth time? Like, are you continuing to trust that what Jesus did was enough? Do you think this way? Do you think that Jesus is worth it? That knowing Jesus is worth losing everything so that you get him? 
If you lost everything but got him, would you consider that a win? That's how mature Christians think. That's how we think about following Jesus. That everything is trash compared to knowing him. In comparison to having Christ, everything else, throw it out on the road. And then do we think that pursuing Jesus is a lifelong pursuit? Paul wrote, I press on when he was about when he was close to the end. Some of us in this room have followed Jesus for 30 years. Some of us in this room have followed Jesus for a lot more than 30 years. Does your heart still reflect verses 12 to 14? Man, I, I haven't discovered all that Jesus has for me. I've not obtained it. I'm not complete. I'm not perfect. I'm not finished. So, I'm, man, I'm striving. I'm going. I'm working. I'm pressing on, Paul says. Because I would, I would love to just run right through the finish line before I see him. Instead of getting distracted with all the things that could take my attention along the way. So are we thinking this way? Are we thinking this way? Are we thinking, I, I don't need to add anything to Jesus. He's enough. His work is sufficient. Are we thinking, man, knowing Jesus is worth losing anything so that I can get him? And are we pursuing him for the rest of our days? In just a little bit, we're going to get to observe baptism where we get to see some people profess faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In so many of our experiences, this has been the end of the journey. This, this is nowhere close to the end of the journey. This is the beginning. This is early in the race. And this begins a lifetime of pursuing Christ. Is that how you're thinking? Paul said, let, let those who are of us who are mature think this way. And if any of us think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. How is God revealing things to you today? About the way you're thinking about what it means to follow Christ. Jesus is enough. Jesus is worth it. And following Jesus is our lifetime. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Oh, Jesus, what an amazing Savior you are. You are so good to us. You are so full of grace and mercy uh, that you would give us the privilege of knowing you, that you would make us your own so that we could pursue you and know you and follow you. So Lord, I pray that where we need to grow, you would do that. Where we need to change our thinking about what it means to be a mature Christian, that we would do that. Um, and Lord, we, we trust that you will re reveal that also to us so that we might walk with you better. And Lord, I pray, I pray that as, as we grow and follow you, that Lord, you would make us people who value you more than anything. That you would make us people who want to know you more than anything. That you would make us people who pursue you with tenacious hearts the discipline and dedication of an athlete pursuing victory. Help us, Lord. Make us those people. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.